Hello, everyone. I'm Trent Luce. Welcome to another edition of Roll Route, the program where we gather every day at this time. Well, we do it Monday through Friday anyway. And what we do when we gather is continue to address the issues between rural and urban America. I am not in Austin, Minnesota today. I was this week. I came home on uh, Tuesday night late. The sales concluded yesterday at the 75th Annual National Barrel Show. And all of that led me to want to revisit this conversation with a dear friend who is a living legend today from Richards, Missouri. Everett and I are sitting in Austin, Minnesota, Mauer County Fairgrounds at the National Barrel Show. Richards, Missouri is what he calls home. Welcome back to the program. I don't know if you've ever actually been on rural route. I've had you on shorter programs because usually you're too busy to sit down with me for an hour. I think you're right, Trent. I think this is the first full-length one that I've had a chance to sit down and visit with you. But we've had some, we've had some good visits in the past, and I appreciate the opportunity. Have you been to the wor- uh, world, the National Barrel Show lately? Are you coming every year? What are uh, you doing? This is my fifty-first year. Fifty-one years to the National Barrel. Is there anybody here longer? I doubt that. That means you have to be at least fifty-two years old. Yeah, I'm. A little beyond that. <laughs> I did miss one year in the midst of all that when I took went on a trade mission to Japan to try to sell some hogs over there. But that's the only time I've missed. And that was a trade mission for Forkner Farms, yes. not as a uh, volunteer leader of the Fork Council? Yes, sir. Right. So 51 years breeding Duroc hogs, too? No, more than that. Uh, started in 58 with Duroc Hawks. That was the first breed? That was my first breed, yes, sir. And that was uh, that would have been uh, between my junior and sophomore year in college. And that would be the same year I met my dear bride and we married. And I completed the University of Missouri studies and graduated with a B.S. in animal science and a wife and a son on the ground and another on the road. Gee, you just went, got, went to school and figured out everything out in life, didn't you? <laughs> well, the only thing I really figured out was that when you put yourself in that kind of position, you better hit the road running. Yeah. So let's do the math on that. Uh, 58, that's 60, what, seven years? Well, let's see. That would be out. That's, that's bad. We gotta do the. We gotta get a get her phone up. I can't get my phone out. It's broke. Anyway, it's a lot of years. I had not been at the uh, National Barrel Show since 1993. Really? Yep. Took a sabbatical. Yeah, you did. But um, these girls brought us back into the, the purebred into the pig world period, and it's been good. Yeah, I. You know. I, one of the good things about new technology is, is I'm not a avid Facebooker, but I am there, and it does help me keep up with folks like you mm-hmm. and your girls, and so I know a little bit more about, you know, what's You've going on. You've been stalking me. No, I have not been stalking <laughs> yeah. you. No, it's a good term. It used to be a bad thing, everybody. It's a good you. thing. Well, no, I just, now and then I visit and uh, post a little on occasion, but... Uh, we live in a different world. We do. And you are uh, truly um, a successor 
not a survivor, a thriver, because what you've accomplished in the purebred pig world, and we talk about cattle later, but in purebred pig world, very few have accomplished. Porkner Farms is still in the business, very similar to what it was 50 years ago, 20 years ago. You've evolved into selling your pigs pound by pound more than ever through meat products. How have you made, what does what Forkner Farms consist of today? That's a better way to ask the question. Today, Forkner Farms is uh, a multi-generational farming operation. Uh, my wife and Ruby and I uh, had the opportunity to begin our farming career in partnership with my father for 10 years before we were able to purchase a 200 acres and get on our own. Today, we have uh, our oldest, we have two sons, our oldest son, Mike, and our third son, Steve. We crop about 1,600 acres that Mike oversees. We run 500 purebred sows of five different breeds that Steve oversees with two and a half full-time people. And uh, then I and whichever current grandchild I can snatch up, we uh, we kind of oversee some of the cattle deal that we're doing today, and uh, and uh, when I'm gone like this, I've like today I've got a 17 year old grandson who just got a high school. It's kind of filling in for me. So that's kind of what we do uh, to stay relevant, which is the question that I heard you right. say. I won't digress into the full story, but basically, about every 10 years, we had to look at a new business plan. We had to be able to uh, assess where we're at and where we saw agriculture and the industry going and make some changes. Uh, Today, one of the reasons I think that we're still being viable, and there's been times when I wasn't sure, but it's because that we've been receptive to change, and I've always been receptive to innovation and believe that that's what drives the future. Many people uh, that have been viable made the transition from supplying commercial sector strictly to selling a 50-pound pig for $500. While you did some of that, you were able to keep diversity in what you were doing so that you weren't completely dependent upon the show pig world, so to speak. Well, honestly, that's... uh, we do participate in that, and it's a small part of what we do. But you'll find this interesting. Our main involvement is because grandchildren came to me, and we have been in the show arena for many years, and they said, uh, we've got to do something a little different because we don't like to be the first one out the gate or the last one in class. <laughs> So we improvised. Well, why does this conversation <laughs> sound familiar? <laughs> so we improvised, and uh, we do a little of that. Uh, honestly, Trent, uh, the thing that we, the the last move that we made that propelled us to where we are now was about 20 years ago, I sat down with the two sons that are involved, and we discussed whether we could see that the current commercial seed stock business was waning because of the those on the horizon uh, with 
larger genetic companies that we were going to be competing with, and we had to make a decision whether we wanted to grow with them and try to compete with them, or if we wanted to, and the other option I gave them, or if we wanted to diversify and specialize. And so no, no one else in my family wanted to get a lot bigger in the hog business than what we were with 500 purebred sows. And uh, so we uh, we added crop acres. We got serious about the 100-cow purebred Mainanju cow herd that we have now that we grew into. And then at that time, uh, also, and it has been 20 years, we began on a journey to improve pork quality and do it genetically first and understand the genetics that's involved in producing a better pork product that has a greater eating experience for the consuming public. And so we've been going down that trek for some time and have actually had an opportunity to do some direct marketing uh, with uh, uh, LLC we put together called True Line Premium Pork. But today uh, we have backed away from doing that as a major effort and are doing the genetics, supplying the genetics more and a little consulting with people that want to do that. And then to uh, also enhance that, you've uh, spent, and I have one minute, so I'm trying to, you spent time volunteering to be a leader. It was with the Pork Council. Not National Pork Board. Pork Board, I meant. Uh, pork Board. But really brought a whole emphasis at a time when nobody was talking about pork quality much. Pork, the other white meat, was the thing. And it would maybe we can discuss whether it's a good thing or a bad thing. But you really, at a time when everybody started saying, hey, maybe we should look at quality of pork instead of just, is it lean? I had to assess that as a correct observation because I was one that did see that. And we had... I had watched in my lifetime the revolution from short, fat hogs that had very little muscle in them and evolve and be driven by economics to a much leaner product that had more muscle composition and was a much better product. But then we maybe got a little too far down the road. We always seem to do that, swing the pendulum one way and then the other way too far. We're going to continue here with Everett Forkner. This conversation actually took place in 2015 at the National Barrel Show. Protect the Harvest, working every day to help protect your rights. Get details about involvement and get on the list at protecttheharvest.com. We're back with more Everett Forkner. Roll out after this. Welcome back to Rural Routes. I'm Trent Luce, Everett Forkner, and I sitting in Austin, Minnesota, the National Barrel Show. Not what it was when I left in 1993, but uh, still an exciting place. And I missed all of the junior activities this weekend. We were entered, but just didn't make it. Were you here this weekend? Yes, I was. They had a, a, an excellent junior show, and the junior participation has grown. And uh, it is becoming a little bit more of a destination show for that group of young people, which I think is good because the tradition and the impact that uh, the National Bear Show, and I want to give credit what credit's due, backed by Hormel over the years has been a driving force within 
the purebred pork industry especially and the improvement and changes that has made the pork industry better. Back in 93, uh, <laughs> when uh, you and I were going head-to-head trying to get commercial producers to believe our pigs were better, and then we also were more active in participating in shows than you were at that time. You were always there, but we were running pretty hard. The National Barrel Show was the place that everybody went to kind of end the season. Now it, it's almost too late because it's so driven by $100,000 boars that everybody wants to sell that the boar studs buy and sell semen on. But if you buy a boar here, you run it properly through minimum of 30 days isolation, probably 60 days of isolation. You're beyond the show pig season. It's just really strange how that whole dynamics have, have taken place in that period of 20 years while I was, how's my math? Yeah, 20 years while I was gone. That's that's very accurate. And uh, so that has diminished a little of the emphasis in the National Bear Show because of its timing. You're exactly right. And we have moved that up to probably some summer shows like Indiana right? that you could talk about where it seems like that is the place where <clears throat> the boar studs are looking because they got to get those boars home. they got to get them isolated. they got to make sure that everything's working properly. And then you got to start selling show pig semen today or a week ago mm-hmm. to be uh, up on at yeah. the right breeding season. For those that might not be familiar <laughs> with that world, the show pigs are born... January, February, maybe a little bit of March, and you can sell a show pig any month of the year. But those three months, is the, that's everybody is involved in that. Mm-hmm. The other thing about this year's National Barrel Show, and that'll lead us into what I really wanted to talk about in this segment, is you do know the largest breed on the Meyer County Fairgrounds this year. I suppose that would be Berkshires. Berkshires. There's two things that kids think they have to have today. A Berkshire hog. And a Hereford heifer. <laughs> and those two things are on fire. My goodness. This well, bunch are crazy. And you were in the Berkshire thing long before anybody else. Yeah, we've been in Berkshire 15 years now. And the primary reason that I got into Berkshire though, was because that was when we made some family decisions to move towards improving pork quality, not only in our genetic lines, but I, I saw a need across the industry for that. And... We had done a compliments of the National Pork Board. At that time, it was National Pork Producers Council doing a sire trial of uh, all the different breeds of pigs and us realizing that the Berkshire breed uh, was probably the at that time and probably still is the best pork quality breed we had, followed closely by Dukox. And then it kind of goes to and on down the line, and our white breeds tend to have a little less pork quality. But as a driver, mm-hmm. and it's created uh, what we see today. But I'm sure that's why all of those junior kids want a Berkshire barrel, because they have the highest. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't think so. No, I, I'm I don't probably making so too either. much of an assumption. I, and, and, in fact, I'm breeding uh, a dozen Berkshire sows this fall myself, and I find myself using a mix of the boars that are available for known pork quality. Because I, I, I was a doubter. I knew that Berkshires maybe were better, but after I ate my first Berkshire pork loin, ever don't eat anything else. It's that much different. It is. And I'm, I'm going to go one step further and tell you that in my 20 years of experience and all the work that we've done in 
poor quality evaluation of different breeds and different crosses. But today, I truly believe the best pork product we can make from our genetic lines mm-hmm. is a 50-50 Berkshire times Duroc. Mm-hmm. And we have uh, captured some of that in the breeding programs that we are currently marketing to people that are, are wanting to go out today. And we have a little resurgence right now, Trent, in, uh, in pork quality industry-wide. There's niches that are flourishing. Yes. In fact, I will be in 30 days in uh, Idaho and Pat Florence with the Snake River. I don't know which independent meets. Yeah. But anyway, they are, that's been their focus since I was there about six years ago. And they point blank told me, you want a contract for pigs? We'll give you a contract for all the Duroc pigs. They're doing a Duroc thing. And I was in a restaurant in Louisville, Kentucky, last December, and I saw the Snake River Duroc right. pork, which was interesting because it, the waitress, waiter, was uh, telling us how this local pork product was just outstanding. And I said, Snake River Farms, is that local? He said, oh, yes. I said, where is that exactly in Kentucky? And before the night was over, I had one of the Hutterites, Shorty Hofer in Midway, Conrad, Montana, that produced the pig that led to the pork chop on my... I said, he's in Conrad, Montana. That's local to Louisville. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> well, local sales, buddy. <laughs> yeah. But my point in all of that is uh, uh, there's a real blossoming demand. And again, you're on the forefront of that. And I think it's only going to grow once people know there's a difference in pork quality. I never will forget me validating that. In our own operations and in my own family, we we have a pretty large extended family, 12 grandchildren today and and about four great-grands, and we still do uh, large Sunday dinners. And uh, I can remember sitting down many years ago, and uh, we'd done a ham for the dinner, and I said to the participants sitting around the table, I want you to tell me if what you eat today uh, is the same, different, better, worse Mm -hmm. than what we've had in the past and uh five out of seven said it was better and it was one of the actually burnt duroc combination hams that we'd done that day and we still that's one of our favorite meals because the ham is just melt in your mouth kind of eating and then see you you do the ham for dinner the best part is the ham sandwich is that afternoon (laughs) you know i i just hit me for those that don't know those Burke Duroc pigs are pretty colorful, kind of like a paint horse. <laughs> Kids You're are going right. to love them because they're pretty. But you, you remember better than anybody because you were supplying Duroc boars. We moved away from those colored hogs because the Packers didn't want to deal with the, the colored hair. Right. But in today's commercial industry, the prevalent maternal sow mm-hmm. is still white. It's some kind of a combination of Hampshire and Yorkshire. And maybe a little, in our business, a little maternal Hampshire thrown in there to give it a little more ruggedness. Well, but we wait have, a minute. That, ex- that still exists? Maternal Hampshires? Really? We have, yes. Yes. We, we believe that. Now, whether we do or not, I guess you could, it's open to discussion. But yes, yes. And, uh, but they, they originated. We brought a Hampshire boar in through Canada out of Sweden 25, 30 years ago that originated from the late 50s and 60s 
to perform to produce a herd over there that at one time won the proficiency award for reproduction. So that was pretty mm-hmm. unique. I actually have one Hampshire sow. Yeah. And she's Missouri based. And that line of Hampshire's flat raises pigs. Yeah. In fact probably. in my farming house typically she had a short litter she was a gilt. But her mother always had 14 to 15 pigs and raised them. Diverted you from going down the path of how you were using those colored hog tournament sires on white sows. But I can't let you get back there until I say it's rural route. Everett Forkner, we're talking pork equality. At the end of the day, we have not changed the demand and per capita consumption of pork for, what, 30 to 40 years? What does it take to move it up? That's what we're talking about. And we come back with more rural route after this. And once again, just to remind you that this conversation with Everett Forkner took place on, uh, well, actually September of 2015 at the National Barrel Show. I i don't know where six years went. I'm going to call Everett today because he did not show up at the National Barrel Show this year. One reason why I wanted to walk down memory lane. I always talk about cattle when you get together with Everett because they are doing a great job in the main Anjou business. But in our world, we're doing the certified Piedmontese system. That works extremely well for us. Yesterday, in fact, I got the opportunity to get out to my calves. You know, I've been traveling out and about. Did not get to see my calves for quite some time, and they are coming along extremely well. People ask me, do you sacrifice any performance by being a part of the certified Piedmontese system? You absolutely do not. That's because Lone Creek Cattle Company has put together a selection program using the parameters of real real data and performance. Calving ease, growth, accelerated performance, and you don't sacrifice weight. At the scale, that's what it's all about. But get paid properly. It's shipping time. Get a coupon of $300 per head over market. Details from Marlon Will. Lone Creek, Calico.com. Welcome back to Roll Route. I'm Trent Luce, Everett Forkner, Richards, Missouri, Forkner Farms. We are talking about where we've been and pork production and where we're going to go. Along the lines of pork quality, there have been some entities on the front lines marketing quality, but I think they screwed it up, Everett, in uh, the, the big-name brands because they were um, they were marketing the size of operation and some of the components of production, and uh, i.e., our sows have not been in gestation stalls. Instead of focusing on, here is a Berkshire Duroc, pork chop that's going to be fantastic so they moved a, a what i believe to be a small segment of the consumer into wanting to go to these high-end restaurants to get product from these small producers and now all of a sudden those suppliers like nyman ranch like coleman meats have been consumed by the biggest players in the industry and i'm sitting here kind of chuckling because they got to this point by marketing the product wrong when if they'd have been marketing it based upon the merits of what the genetics are to improve eating quality, everybody would be happy. But now I'm wondering, how is Chipotle going to sell the fact that their suppliers Purdue chicken of where they get their pork? Well, you pose a good question, Trent, and uh, uh, I'll leave that for them to decide. <laughs> I didn't realize you were king. Are you running for president, too? <laughs> that sounded like I'm not going to ride this fence. <laughs> Well, you know me well enough to know that, uh, that that I've been on the forefront of most of the challenges and battles that's gone on in my six years on the National Pork Board, serving as the president, 
a year, year and a half, about four years ago, has put me in a position to, to, uh, I guess, enjoy the challenges that, that's out there. And I really do thrive on some of those challenges. But the rewards are seeing us make some monumental changes that affects everyone. Mm-hmm. It affects our industry, but more importantly, it affects the consuming public who we want to reach and gather up as our friends and make them uh, people who trust us and believe in us. And I think we, it's a journey, but I think we're making inroads there for those people. Are you currently supplying genetics to any of that niche? Absolutely. Uh, our sales has uh, been extremely strong in the past six months. We supply a lot of the breeding stock that goes into Nyman. Uh, we furnish into other niches as well. And uh, then there are spe- some specific niches. Uh, we got a call recently from a group on the West Coast that has already five of their own branded retail outlets that are doing a, in their case, an organic cattle, pork, goats, sheep, and chicken production. And uh, uh, we're going to be doing some business with them. So if this continues to survive and flourish as a niche, undoubtedly the larger commercial sector that's producing 120 million pigs a year is going to put more emphasis on what's making this happen, and it is driven by the genetics for better eating quality. Is that happening? I think we're on the friendly end of that, and and I think we got to realize too. And, and number one, in defense of since I'm in the genetics business, and and, and you are too, to a degree, uh, genetics is a very important player, but it's not the only component that helps us put a better pork product mm-hmm. in the in, in the uh, sh- on the shelf for the consumer because transportation the way they're handled in at at, at the processor uh, the the new and improved uh, stunning methods that we use today that are proper uh, help create a better pork product and now with our packer friends and harvesters on board to to you know and they're they're fully engaged anymore more than we've ever been in the past which is a good thing and i think together we can you know make a better product uh, to sell our consuming public than we've ever made and you left nutrition out and we know more about feeding these pigs and maintaining muscle quality and, and ph and the water holding capacity of a loin than we ever did before. No, you're right on target. That's the other big component. You know, it's genetics, nutrition, management, and then what happens with the pig once he leaves the farm. And maybe what's most interesting about this conversation, and this spills over into beef as well as pork, is because uh, the drivers in this, and Hormel, I'll include Hormel, because I've been to Austin, Minnesota, and those 20 years that I've not been at the National Barrel Show, I've spent more time with people like Hormel, and they were convinced that genetics for better muscle quality really didn't matter because they can enhance a loin once they get it and have an always tender product, which has an injection of an 8% calcium solution, whatever the case may be. And I think this whole movement and drive for better 
pork quality, again, no different than what's happening with beef, uh, really caught them by surprise, thinking that they could get the consumer something they want by taking a pig, enhancing the product, and having an, an always enjoyable eating experience. Well, you have led right into something that, that, that I've been a part of and, and uh, honestly believe 20 years ago when we first started doing the first genetic testing to genetically improve pork quality, I believe at that time, within 10 years, which it should be 10 years ago now, that a part of the pricing structure in pigs at the sales level would have a quality component. Mm -hmm. But there's two reasons that hasn't happened. The main one you addressed, we have found out that we can enhance a pork product that is good but not as good as it could be and make it better. But the real driver that we need today is how do we measure carcass quality at line speed? And we haven't been able to come up with that innovation yet. Once that happens, I think then we will have the capability to begin to look at some marketing differentiation as we look at poor quality. It hasn't happened for one reason. There was not enough of a commitment to think that they needed to make it happen. I mean, I talked to Gene Rouse yesterday. He was at Iowa State. He's been working on issues like this, both in beef and pork, for, for a long time. There was just a lag. Once once the, the uh, Hormels of the world see an, an incentive, they become very innovative. Exactly. And we do have today a, uh, a, a piece in the new strategic five-year long-range plan at the National Pork Board. There is a quality component piece in that with a stated goal of improving pork quality measured by color in the meat case by 10% over the next five years. And our new CEO, Chris Hodges, who comes from a farmland background and some international experience and has been down that road, has personally, uh, in an hour-long uh, session we had once he came on, has made that personal commitment as well. So we have we have uh, some momentum, I think, that is just starting to make this a better product. You mentioned the five-year strategic plan. Would you see it as um, geared more at maintaining current per capita consumption and demand, or is it to try to reach a new plateau? Because we've been stagnant for, I don't know, maybe dating back to the cattle drive era, but for sure in my lifetime we've been stagnant in demand for pork. You're exactly right, and I, I don't know all of the ramifications for that. Part of it is we just aren't as much of a meat-eating society today for a number of reasons mm -hmm. than we once were. Uh, so we have looked more at the pork board and at per capita consumption uh, of not the dollars that are spent instead of the amount of pork that is consumed. And... That still drives profitability. So, yeah, I would like to see us be able to uh, increase per capita consumption, but I think uh, as we grow as a nation, uh, with all that's going around us and all the health issues and, and our consumer consuming public today are vitally interested, as you well know, and that's what's driving a lot of this. They want to know how their pork is produced, how their food is produced, and how it's processed, and feel comfortable that we're getting the best product. That With one exception. Okay. Bacon, 
the bacon craze we're living today is because people love to taste the bacon. There's no other parameter involved other than, I love bacon. Well, that's one of the most phenomenal things that's happened in the pork industry in my life. In all of food. Yeah. It, it's, uh, it, it's a pretty ma- amazing uh, uh, development. But, you know, uh, this goes to prove again, you know, if you like it, you're probably going to consume it. So the real question is, is how close is Forkner Farms <laughs> to doubling the amount of belly that a pig has? Because currently only 17% of that pig qualifies for bacon. If we could have 34% as bacon, think about it, we would increase demand. <laughs> well, I tell you what, uh, we never gave up the belly to begin with, so we don't have to go back and get it again. Uh, <laughs> we have kind of kept... Uh, uh, a phenotype uh, where we have a nice proportion, and belly is the number one, you know, uh, pork cut we have today. You know, even, it, well, I say, that, well, I guess spare ribs are number one and bacon's number two, but it's, it's still way ahead of loins and hams. And, and uh, yeah, it's a, it's a, a, a big a big part of, of the pork industry today because bellies is, is a big deal. Yeah, who would ever guess at that loin? 100% nutrition that people need is the one product that they run the biggest savings on to try to get people to buy it. The best buy we have in the grocery store today is pork and probably boneless pork loins. I was talking to a friend of mine and said he could buy some in Columbia, Missouri this last week at $1.30, $1.29. Yeah. And, but uh, he was... Uh, he. He was interested, though, in going to the outlet that had the all-natural that did not have the enhanced pork. He's kind of, yeah. I don't know if that's the new wave or right. the old school. Right. I still think that's just a local minority, but we'll find out. Hey, Everett, we need to take a break. We're going to have one more segment with Everett Forkner here. When we come back, I mentioned earlier, Protect the Harvest. Protect the Harvest continues to be relentless in getting people information. You know, so many times individuals sit back and say, what are you going to do for me? How can you help me? Here's what we need. We need somebody to disseminate information that you can latch on to and then take it forward and help yourself. And I think that best summarizes exactly what Protect the Harvest continues to do. Get more details about how working in the trenches to protect your property rights is beneficial not only for you as an individual property owner, but also as the consumer relies upon us. As we see now that schools are struggling in getting access to enough food, all of that is because of political games. Sort through it all. Let's just get back to the basics and what's important for humanity around the world and that's exactly what protect the harvest does get details and get it on the email list at protecttheharvest.com welcome back to roll routes i'm trent lewis we're into the final segment i was going to talk about beef and cattle in the last segment but you got a green pig on your mind i can't talk (laughs) about cattle as long as you're thinking about a green pig what year was that I think it was uh, 08. Okay. Maybe. Or 07 or 08. That sounds about right. No, no, it was not because I was doing radio. Oh, yeah, I started radio. What am I thinking? I started radio in 1999. Yeah, I think it was 2008. That sounds right. So tell the story. Well, uh, the story was is that... uh, 
we were being kind of bombarded as an industry and people believing that, uh, we weren't a very efficient, we weren't actually, pork production was not being ran as it ought to be, and that uh, the pork industry came under some scrutiny that was driven by some outside forces. I'll just put it that way and leave it there. But at that same time, we were striving hard to reconnect with all of our consumers better than we had in the past and uh, and to let them know that uh, we are an efficient uh, industry and that we care. We developed a program called the We Care Program that's still today. And on the front end of that, uh, as that was in the development, uh, I had this thought about, you know, we are the original green industry, maybe. And so to portray that, and I did check with my sources, we decided to exhibit at the World Pork Expo that year a Yorkshire gilt that was dyed green with washable dye and present that pig so that we could tell our story. And guess what? Trent Luce showed up, and he said, what's this green pig? You and actually called me before. You were so excited about it. <laughs> I you probably you was. Said, you Trent, you got to come and look at this green pig. <laughs> and then you said, you think I'll get by with it? I said, yeah, you'll get by with it. Let's, let's blow it out of the water. So we had this, uh, this concept of trying to portray our industry in a different light as, as, uh, a very efficient industry, and we done that for four years. Okay, you left out part of the story that you need to tell from that first World Park Expo. Jane Wells from NBC has flown in from Los Angeles to cover the World Park Expo because it was the year they were talking about not having pigs at the World Park Expo because of swine flu. Exactly right. What was the very first story she fed to NBC? <laughs> well, is that we have a green pig. Some guy brought Expo. a green pig to the World Pork Expo, <laughs> and this is why he says it's green. That was her first story. Mm-hmm. So it, it it opened doors that would not well, have been open. It did. And interestingly enough, the follow-up to that was five years ago, at the National Pork Board, we done a 50-year research project to take a look at how our industry has moved and evolved, and here's what we found. We are producing today the same pounds of pork from one sow as 50 years ago it took two sows. Mm-hmm. We are using 71% less land mass. We are using 40-some percent less water, and our footprint is uh, 37% less than it would have been back in those days. And so it verified a little bit absolutely of the fact that we are a greening industry. And we did that before McDonald's started talking about we're going to have sustainable pork production. We did, Absolutely. because we just have this inert desire to do better each generation. Well, that's true. And, of course, with my time on the pork board, you know, I have had I had the opportunity to be in on sessions with 
the McDonald's of the world, the Walmarts of the world. And uh, today, with a, a piece within our long-range plan of making pork quality better also is a piece of, you know, becoming more sustainable than we've ever been in the past. And also, uh, it allows us to... Uh, it allows us to tell our story in a more meaningful way and actually, just so that you might know, Trent, this last strategic long-range plan that we just finished is done on a light green pig background with green... Where'd that red. idea come from? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Only took, what, uh, seven years to get it across, but hey... You said at the beginning, this is a journey. It's not a sprint. <laughs> well, it is. And, you know, uh, that's a lifetime philosophy. Because we wouldn't be where I am in the business today in agriculture if uh, if we'd sprinted or if we'd lagged. Mm-hmm. So I think, you know, uh, innovation, you know, all the changes that has, have happened in the pork industry and are going to happen in the future in American agriculture, the majority of it is going to be driven by new technology and new innovation. And as long as we are on the cutting edge of that, we can still be world leaders. What opened my eyes as much as anything is, um, well, first of all, you've been a part of this too. The the Alt-Tech Symposium happens every May. And we've got people from 80 to 100 countries, and they're all talking about the same challenges. But when you really boil it down, and then I've had the opportunity to go to Australia five times in the last four years, spoke in Ireland, talked to people in South America all of the time. And our advantage in the global marketplace is quality meat, particularly beef, U.S., corn-fed, choice, or prime. Nobody can compete with us. So... That traveling globally and visiting with people around the world really taught me that our niche in the global marketplace is high-quality meat products, beef number one, and then there's no reason that we can't follow and do the same thing with pork. And really, if we do that, and what we've seen happen is Asian consumers don't really ask what it costs. They ask, can can we get a good product? And that's the future of meat production in the United States continuing to enhance and do better, not enhance the product, but enhance the the end results in all of the production methods to get more of what the global consumer can't get from somebody else. I couldn't agree more fully, Trent. You're spot on. I've had the opportunity now to spend three years uh, on the uh, National Pork Board Trade Committee and working with our USMEF people mm-hmm. internationally. And, uh, yes, it is our quality uh, that differentiates us more than anything else. You know, today, uh, the quality, the big quality market, of course, is Japan, number one. But in, in these emerging countries, the first thing people want to do is eat better. One of the very first things. They want to clothe better, but they want to eat better. And so... We have an opportunity to grow exports here considerably, and uh, we have in the in, in our pork 
uh, long-range plan, uh, we're looking at instead of 26% of our port going internationally, probably 30. And uh, there are some challenges we're going to have to face out there. Uh, China doesn't want a uh, port that's uh, had any of our paline products put in it. And uh, we've thought for a while that science is right, It's but the consumer's always right. So well, I don't agree with that statement. Consumer's not always right, because if you allow the consumer to always dictate production, <laughs> they'll put us out of business. Okay. The consumer needs it to be educated, but still, they are the buyer, and we are going to have to supply them with some of the product that they demand. Yeah. I, and there's a balance, and it's funny that before we started the, the show, we were talking about some of the issues internally in the purebred world. And in my world, I'm doing some meat, some local meat quality things, selling. But right now, lion's share of our revenue is generated by kids buying show pigs. It's no different there, Everett. They're not buying the pigs that I think they should be buying to continue to have better hogs down the road. They're buying these little bitty things that are just toads and don't grow up to be good hogs because that's what the demand is. So what do I do? Do I raise the kind I think they should have, but nobody's writing a check to me for it? Well, how long can you do that? It's no different than the pork quality or the consumer telling us, no, we don't want any antibiotics ever used in our pigs. It's all the same thing. Well, Trent, if we didn't have a challenge in what we do, then what would we have to strive for? So here again, the National Junior Swine Association and our our other breeds' youth programs uh, have flourished. They're huge. We've grown from 400 to 12,000. And on a positive note, it provides family time for a lot of families and young people. And I've always said at, at the pork board level, people, that's where our next leadership is coming from. Yeah. And we need to support the concept. We need to meet the challenges and the differences that you're talking about. So it's a balancing act. Well, that's what keeps us young. <laughs> and the final note for people that don't get this is that yesterday I was walking through the barn, and uh, the Bombay family was sitting by their pigs. Uh, they had a truckload of spots here. I don't know if you saw them or not. But anyway... Uh, they're sitting by their pigs, and I was talking to his wife, and and she said, there couldn't be a better day. Look, I'm sitting here with my two teenage sons. Where else could I sit with my teenage sons and enjoy their time? My, this one's going to be gone off to school next year, and here we are sitting with our pigs that we produced at the pig show. Hey, that's what it's all about. That's what made this country great. Competition. It's never going to go out of style. I hope it never goes out of style. Now, I know I'm talking to this preaching to the choir, but that's what's made us great. And we must never lose that competitive challenge because that's what drives us to be better. No better way to end it. Everett Forkner, Richards, Missouri, always a pleasure. We need to do the long show more often. That's the bottom line. We've successfully journeyed down the road connecting rural and urban America. Both Everett Forkner and myself remind you that all roads do lead to a rural route. The time is now, my friends, to say thank you to those individuals, the troops that continue to risk their lives to protect our freedom. There's a group of cattlemen from the Great Plains of America that found a way to say thank you 
250,000 individuals in the past seven years have been given a handshake and supplied with a full meal deal, including a one-pound ribeye. The All-American Beef Battalion on the best crusade of our life. Make your contribution and help us, please, at stakesfortroops.com.